Numbers chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days. And after that, she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days. And the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness. Let us pray to the Lord for guidance. Oh, Father, we uh, come to you in your word, and we ask that you would be with us by your spirit, that you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ, uh, that we uh, would be built up uh, in love, and that we would come to a greater understanding of you and of your redemptive work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> in our passage this evening, uh, we find a struggle against authority. And the theme of our passage I've put in words taken from 1 Peter 5 5. And that theme is that the Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we, we see this theme worked out in three sections. Uh, the first section is in verses 1 through 3, with Miriam and Aaron's pride. 
The second is in verses 4 through 10, uh, the Lord's opposition. And the third, in verses 11 through 16, the Lord's grace. So again, that theme is that the Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's first consider these three opening verses where we see Miriam and Aaron's pride. We see that that passage opens with Miriam speaking against Moses along with Aaron. They began to speak against Moses on account of his having taken a Cushite woman to be his wife. And on this point there, there's all manner of discussion amongst scholars as to uh, exactly uh, who this Cushite woman is, um, as to whether it is Zipporah, whom we know to be the wife of Moses, and who was a Midianite. And as it turns out, she actually could have been referred to as a Cushite woman if she was a resident of a certain area in Midian. We're never explicitly told that that's the specific point uh, of Midian where she was a resident. Um, In that case, then, she would have likely been recently reunited with Moses at this point in Numbers, as we're told in Exodus 18, that she returned to Moses along with their two sons when the father-in-law of Moses came to meet him in the wilderness. Uh, And indeed, in the previous uh, chapters, uh, Moses' father-in-law has come uh, to meet him. Anyway, so as not to get bogged down in that potential rabbit trail, uh, which is not especially helpful, I will simply say that I favor the view that this is a reference to the only wife that we're clearly told that Moses had. And no matter how the various difficulties get worked out, I believe that it boils down to the same thing going on here. That being that the main point for Miriam and Aaron speaking against Moses appears to be because this woman was a stranger from the house of Israel. But I think we can further observe that this criticism of Moses for having taken a Cushite wife, is really the superficial cause for their complaint. It's the political talking points they have adopted to criticize Moses. The real heart and substance of their intention lies with respect to Moses' position of authority amongst the people of Israel as it relates to their own positions. The heart of the complaint comes as we hear what Miriam says, along with Aaron, in verse 2. It says, and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? So while their stated reason for them speaking against Moses was his having taken this Cushite wife, the issue is a matter of pride with respect to their own position. It seems likely that the timing of things has given them a moment where they want to try and appear to have a reason 
to judge Moses, to look as though they are above him in some manner in order to improve their own position, their own appearance amongst the people. And if we look back to the context leading up to our passage in the book of Numbers, what has just taken place in chapter 11 is that the Lord had further exalted Moses' position within Israel. In Numbers 11, the Lord had recently set up elders throughout Israel and set Moses over these elders. And he had uh, Moses select respected men from among the people. Then the Lord had taken uh, from Moses some of the spirit that he had placed upon Moses, and he put it on the elders, and they prophesied. Their prophesying was a sign of their authority. So all these hosts of elders were shown to have received their authority from God through Moses as their head. And there we also see the clear tie between prophesying as a sign of having received authority. And in that same chapter is an interesting account of two men on whom the spirit of the Lord rested, who were not among the men that Moses had selected but who nevertheless stood up and prophesied out in the camp. And when this was reported to Moses, we are told that Joshua stood up out of a zeal for Moses' authority and wanted to stop these men from prophesying. But Moses replied, saying that he wished that all the people might prophesy. And this account foreshadows the humility, the meekness, of Moses in our chapter, and it really points out the ultimate authority figure of importance to Moses is God himself. Moses didn't appoint himself. The Lord called him to the position. Moses is not self-seeking in his place of exaltation. Should the Lord raise up others without express Selection by Moses, then may the Lord be exalted. Moses is humble before the Lord and is willing to have others exalted to positions of service among the people because he is one who serves the Lord and his desire is to serve for the good of God's people. But we see in contrast to such an approach that what Miriam, along with Aaron, are doing here is seeking to put down Moses to the extent that they can try and lift themselves up. They have failed here to respect the Lord, and they are playing politics without reference to God's honor. I'm suggesting that this occasion, shortly after the father-in-law of Moses had come, and the people were reminded that Moses had taken a Cushite wife, may have been a way for Miriam and Aaron to undermine Moses in their eyes because Moses had not taken his wife uh, from among the sons of Israel. She was an outsider. Uh, Miriam and Aaron then are leveraging this reality to make themselves look good. Is Moses exalted above these prophesying elders? Yes, but he is not without his problems. 
And by the way, we also have prophesied like those elders. Miriam and Aaron are lifting themselves up in pride. And we know it will not end well because we read, and the Lord heard this. And there's still more reason that we know it will not end well. You may have noticed that I've been especially emphasizing Miriam and that even our text kind of fronts her as the primary culprit in this. The reason that's the case is that the Hebrew text actually makes it abundantly clear that here she is the primary actor. Part of how it does this is that the word used for Miriam speaking at the beginning, and Aaron also, is a word for speaking that in the whole book of Numbers has only been used regarding either the Lord himself speaking or regarding people speaking the words that the Lord had spoken to them. It stands out then in Hebrew when we come to our passage and it opens with Miriam initiating this kind of speech without any clear reference to the Lord. It's a startling thing. It makes you cringe. It's a picture of self-exaltation really to the position of the Lord himself. Aaron is associated with her, but she is the primary one speaking uh, as the verb ending is a feminine verb ending. So Miriam then has gone to her brother Aaron to gang up against Moses. And we see that Aaron goes along with her so that they're both exalting themselves In the house of Israel, it seems to be a character trait in Aaron that when people come to him uh, and try to uh, suggest these things, that he he goes astray. Uh, The people of Israel come to him uh, to offer, asking him to make an idol, and he goes along. But here, it's, it's notable that Aaron already does have a high position of authority. Whereas Miriam does not seem to have a continual position of authority. And so there's a a sense in which her offense is greater. The Lord had indeed appointed Aaron as Moses' spokesman before Pharaoh and had even placed him in the position of the high priest. Aaron also had a role in prophesying regularly under Moses' direction. But Miriam has only been seen to be involved in prophesying once uh, when she led the daughters of Israel in a song of praise after the crossing of the Red Sea. This is the only instance of her prophesying so far as the Bible reveals to us. And so what we see is that Miriam is not giving a sober assessment of her own position. That's part of the picture leading to the conclusion that she is trying to exalt herself far above her rightful place and that she has not considered the Lord in all of this. Aaron also has clearly not served her well in that he too 
does not consider the proper reverence for the Lord, but he yields his own authority uh, to his sister. And we see the humility of Moses upon hearing these things, and that he does not seem to reply or act in a response to Miriam's rebellious usurpation. Uh, Perhaps his heart remains the same as in the previous chapter. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. We're not told exactly how Moses has reacted, if, if at all. But we are told that he is meek or humble. It seems that Moses takes this attack peaceably. But the Lord sees the heart of the matter, and the Lord acts on Moses' behalf. Because it's the Lord who had exalted him. The Lord calls Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And notice the text lists their names in the proper order of their authority now. And that's not insignificant. The text opened with Miriam, not an appointed authority, speaking to Aaron, a rightful authority under Moses, about Moses to undermine his authority. He who is God's appointed mediator between God and the people at this time in redemptive history. This is actually much like what we find in Eden when the serpent had approached Eve, who approached Adam, a priest in the garden of God, in opposition to God himself, to God's word. And just like in the garden, God calls to the offenders in the proper order of their authority from greatest to least. This is suggestive that behind this rebellion, though not seen openly, crawls that ancient tempter of God's people. We see Miriam and Aaron's pride, and we see that the Lord opposes them. Though they are the people of the Lord, they look more like that enslaving serpent of old here than they do the Lord who saved them out of Egypt. They were more concerned about their status in the house of Israel than they were about the glory of the Lord. Miriam, as the instigator, has done the bidding of the serpent as she usurps the appointed authority of the Lord. But the Lord heard And he calls the offenders forward to the tent of meeting, to the entrance of his courts where he meets with his people. And we here move from point one, Miriam and Aaron's pride, to point two, the Lord's opposition in verses four through ten. As our passage teaches us that the Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We see the beginning of the Lord's opposition when he calls these offenders offenders forward. And they come to his tent. This is how he speaks to them. He says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. In all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly 
and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You see, it, it may indeed be the case that Miriam is thinking of the time that she has in relation to Moses and that he is exalted in all the house of Israel. But here God has said, no, he's exalted in all my house. Let's not think of the human relation. This is my house. It was God's prerogative to set up Moses as his appointed leader. And Moses is the foremost leader and agent of God's revelation in all the Old Testament. The Lord called to Aaron and Miriam's memory that he had revealed himself to Moses in ways that far exceed the revelation of ordinary prophets. The Lord had spoken to Moses as one speaks to a friend. He had revealed himself to Moses, uh, even in uh, a mysterious way, by where there seems to be a physical form that Moses sees, <clears throat> though not showing Moses his face. Miriam and Aaron should have known to be humble and to wait patiently on the Lord, rather than to seize for glory and to speak against the Lord's appointed servant. And so in the face of their presumptuous pride and opposition to Moses, the Lord opposes them. And he vindicates Moses as one who is faithful in all his own house. He corrects them into thinking in the line of thinking that would view uh, God's people simply as an ordinary human institution. You don't play politics in the Lord's house, but for the purpose of glorifying God. There may indeed be a a political working in God's house, uh, but it should always be unto the end of God's glory and to the service of the people of God. And it should not include, it should not have involved in it a tearing down of one's brother. Um, But indeed, they were trying to cut down uh, Moses' position in the eyes of the people. It is notable that throughout the Bible, Moses' own personal lineage does not get much attention. Uh, This is especially noticeable, notable because of what a high exaltation he had. And the reason for this is because Moses stands as a type of Christ who has come. He knows that his service is not about himself and his own glory, but about the glory of God. He stands in as one who is humble and faithful in all God's house. It's not about the houses of the tribes of Israel. They are all equal members of God's house. And what Miriam is doing here is a tendency for all Israel. And in many ways, Miriam serves as a symbol of rebellious Israel. She serves as a symbol 
of the people of God in rebellion against the Lord. You see, Israel will be tempted time and again to seek the glory of their own tribes or of particular houses in Israel at the expense of the law of Moses and at the expense of God's anointed. Israel will tend to seek the glory of the nations as opposed to the glory of the Lord as he dwells in their midst. And as the people go after these vain things, the priests had a tendency to adopt the wicked practices of the people rather than to side with the Lord by the testimony of Moses and suffer the ire of the people for the sake of God's glory. There's something going on here that that you can see a foreshadowing of things that are to come. It is as though the Lord is saying, Moses is faithful in all my house. And you would presume to come and set yourself up in a position of authority in this house as though it were yours. No, I have the prerogative to appoint I am supreme in all of my house, and I will oppose you. And so Miriam has been presumptuous. She undermines the spokesman to whom God revealed his word. And we see mention of our passage in Deuteronomy 24, 8 through 9. And it interprets what happens to Miriam as a warning to be careful to do according to the word of Of the Lord given to Moses. Um, There in Deuteronomy 24, verses 8 through 9, 8 and 9, it is written Take care in case of leprous disease to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priests shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. So we see that when the Lord strikes Miriam with leprosy, it serves as a picture to all God's people of rebellion against the word of the Lord and of that punishment that comes upon those rebellious. All throughout the book of Numbers, the people are rebelling against the Lord. And many of them are consumed. Large numbers of the people are consumed by God's wrath as they uh, rebel. Most recently in the book, when the people grumbled that they had no meat and the Lord sent quail to them, we're told that while the meat was still between their teeth, or while the flesh was half consumed, a great number of them died. So we're being painted a picture of the Lord's holy presence in their midst as we come uh, to the following section. The Lord departs in anger and Miriam is left with her flesh half consumed with leprosy. We see that picture of Israel as later in Israel's history, when the Lord departs from Israel, we find them to be a very unfaithful and rebellious nation. 
who has not heeded God's word. She will be half consumed and will go into exile outside of the land. We see then that the Lord opposes the proud, but truly he gives grace to the humble. The Lord renders judgment when he opposes the proud. And in Miriam's story here, God's gracious designs and intentions can be seen to her and to undeserving Israel as a whole. We can especially then see in the third section here, the Lord's grace as we read verses 11 through 16. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her, please. For the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, Should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that, she may be brought in again. And so Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Haran. You see, the Lord does not leave Miriam in her state of half-consumed flesh. Nor will he leave her permanently outside the camp. The Lord chastises her. But he does this to humble her for her own good and for his glory. Notice that God is quick to show her mercy. He has provided the mediator who cries out for her. When Aaron confesses their sin, and Aaron cries out to Moses, who stands authoritatively before the Lord as a humble servant, this is Aaron's humbling moment. He sees that Miriam has not been served well, and that they are at the mercy of Moses, that they have sinned. And he calls out for mercy. And Moses, that faithful servant of the Lord, who is humble and all and faithful in all God's house, immediately cries out to the Lord for them. He hears this request with gladness. In his humility, Moses shows love to his brother and sister who have been doing great wrong against him as they strove to tear down his position. You see, the Lord had prepared Moses for this place of humble and faithful leadership. The Lord taught Moses beforehand that his purpose is not to be the strong leader that comes in and exalts himself and beats people down. This is how Moses had tried to begin his role as the deliverer of the people when he struck down an Egyptian and he and was himself sent into exile. To bear reproach and to see his own weakness until such a time as the Lord appointed him. God had graciously humbled Moses so that Moses could serve as a minister of grace to God's people. He himself was shown 
that to wait upon the Lord and to walk humbly before him is the way that pleases the Lord in his house. So Moses cries out to the Lord and Miriam is immediately healed. And we see that Miriam is not banished for the time period that normally would be required for a person with leprosy on account of her having been healed. Instead, we see the Lord's grace as he has effectively spit in her face, so to speak, as a means of humbling her. Notice that the Lord does this as a picture of him as Miriam's father, as a picture of himself as a father to his people. While we might cringe at the idea of a father spitting in his child's face, the picture had cultural relevance at that time as a meaningful punishment that was meant to bring immediately immediate shame on someone who had so seriously disrespected their father. And we can gather that they were sent away from his presence for seven days. So having been covered with leprosy, she was reminded of her lowly place. He then additionally gives her a punishment that would have been given for someone who had been shamed by their father because of blatant disrespect. He disciplines Miriam as his child. And he shuts her outside the camp for seven days. But after that, she's brought in. It's a picture of how God deals with his people. Though his people sin against him, he corrects them. He corrected Israel with many stripes and even with exile. But he brought Israel back in and gave her assurance of his favor by the word of his prophets. God disciplines his children for their good and for his glory. We see Miriam's humility before the Lord, that she has been humbled. Because at her punishments, Miriam speaks no more. She goes out in silence and returns in silence. The Lord's discipline has made her like Moses at the opening of the passage. It has made her humble before the Lord. Even as Moses did not speak in his own defense, but relied on the Lord, Miriam will now be silent and will act according to God's word. And when she suffered her punishment and was brought brought into the camp, the camp of God's people moved from there towards the promised land of the Lord. Now, unfortunately, we know that their generation will fail to enter that land. But this movement towards the promised land also serves as an additional assurance of God's grace. It is a wonderful picture of grace as the Lord disciplines restores, and then leads the people to the place of the Lord's promised dwelling with his people. You see, by his spirit at work in his church, we too draw closer and closer to the life of the heavenly land that is the inheritance of the children of God. So we see that the Lord is teaching his people to listen to the word of the Lord, And to humble themselves before that word. They were being taught not to exalt themselves and seek after their own glory. But to seek 
the glory of the house of the Lord. Not to tear down their brothers, but to build them up in love. As we wrap up, having seen what the Lord was teaching the saints of the Old Testament, let us consider how these things applied in the days of Christ and how they apply in our own day. These things pointed forward to Jesus. Jesus came to serve his people. But in their pride, the leaders in Israel would not yield to him. Rather, they schemed about how to preserve their own positions. They feared that the Romans would come and take away their land and their positions of authority more than they feared the Lord because they did not believe in Jesus. But Jesus is more than a faithful servant or slave in all God's house. He is the true and faithful son. He is the faithful mediator. And when the holy God drew near to his people in Christ, his own brethren turned against him and exalted themselves to belittle their savior. They turned him over to have his flesh torn with the lashes of the whip. He was cast outside the camp and hung naked on that cross to bear our shame. He was lifted up as a curse for us. He gave his flesh to be broken for us so that we might be made whole. He suffered the punishment that was against the iniquity of our rebellion. He suffered rejection that we might be accepted. He was cast out so that we might be gathered into the place of his promise. You see, the Lord's opposition to the proud and his grace to the humble meet in Christ. In his humiliation and death, the Lord opposed the pride of man and pouring out his just wrath on Jesus, who was the willing sacrifice on our behalf. God will by no means clear the guilty. Though we came against him, Though Israel herself came against him, though all the world came against him, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He suffered that penalty due the guilty. And he did this for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, and that his house, the house of God, might be built up. He serves us that we too would become like him, humble before the Lord. And so as we uh, worship together in this church, let us build up our brothers. Let us listen to the word of the Lord. Let us take care uh, to respect uh, those authorities uh, whom he has appointed in his church that we would not tear one another down, that we would not exalt ourselves by tearing others down. And let us follow this Christ, this new and greater Moses, who governs us by his word and by his spirit. As it is written in 1 Peter 5, 5, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, 
For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 